I'm Lillian Voskis with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. On today's show, we'll share a couple of interviews that you may have heard as news stories recently. But now we're going to take a deeper dive with full interviews. Therefore, I'll speak with Mark and Ava Woodsmall, founders of Sparrow Vineyards. Their Viticulture Vocational Training Program is an innovative work training program dedicated to securing meaningful vocational outcomes for young adults with developmental disabilities. Recently, I had the opportunity to visit their winery, to learn more about their program, and to participate in the grape harvest. Also on the show, I'll speak with Marissa Kuchek, Director of Museum Arts and Culture for the City of Ontario. Marissa talks about the Ontario Museum of History and Art and their new exhibit, Built on Water, which focuses on the history, present, and future of water and water conservation in the Ontario region and the Chino Basin. But up first, it's my conversation with co-founder of Sparrow Vineyards, Mark Woodsmall. Tell me about Sparrow Vineyards and how it got started. We created the project to create meaningful work opportunities for young adults with disabilities in the Temecula Valley region. It was part of a a groundswell effort, really, of families and concerned loved ones to provide opportunities for young adults to have experiential work product opportunities. Many of the work training programs for young adults with disabilities traditionally start in the local high schools. And despite a lot of hard work and meaningful intent, the range of training opportunities aren't quite as diverse as the interests of the students. As an alternative, we wanted to create a needs-neutral kind of program where all persons could come and participate. And how did it go the first year? You know, we're really lucky, I feel. From the very beginning, the city of Temecula has been a fantastic partner for us. I actually think back to the original founding story for, for the project, We approached the city and the city has been working actively to provide inclusive work training for young adults, mostly through the Community Services Department of Recreation. And when I first approached at that time, then city mayor, uh, Mike Nagar, had expressed an interest in the project and we sat down at City Hall and we had a meeting and the idea was how quickly could we get something like this going? Mayor Nagar at that time asked us, well, how long do you think you need? And my wife and I suggested maybe about three years to get things up and running. And and, uh, Mayor Nagar said, well, how about three months? What if we put the entire department behind you and work on a curriculum that we can get our hands on and launch? And very quickly thereafter, we uh, were able to put together a curriculum, uh, adapt it for our students, and off we went. In our first class, we had 13 students And what did those 13 students learn or gain or share with you at the end of the course? Well, the course is balanced between viticulture experiences and culinary preparation as well. So all of the students who participated would receive a food handler certificate, which would prepare them for restaurant and hospitality work. We expected some young adults to, you know, come out and have an interest immediately in the wine industry. And they did. But we also found that New friendships were created, you know, um, young people perhaps that really had never really had a connection were asking each other for their telephone number at the end of the class because they wanted to connect again. And for many of our students and, and our people in the program, having a friend is, is a dream. You know, uh, falling in love isn't always easy, these kinds of things. And so really the program became an opportunity for people to come together and have human connection. I'm sure it's been a learning process. What have you learned along the way? I think 
certainly on the winemaking and viticulture side, the number one thing you can count on is making a lot of errors. And I think going back to our community here in, in the Temecula wine country, I would tell you that there are a range of mentors and very generous people with their both time and, and energies to help you get launched. Here at, at Sparrow, we have had the help of Greg Pennyroyal, who's a known commodity in Temecula viticulture, and, and he's been something of a godfather to the program. And I would say, you know, of course, the city. And we learned that um, the students keep showing up. And when they show up, they show up 100%. And I think the program's changing some perceptions about competence and the idea that uh, where our students can go. For instance, we, we've found that our students are particularly gifted at tasks that require a high sense, of, a high focus. For instance, some of the things that we do in the vineyard, we spot for pests or certain diseases that show up on the vines. And uh, our students, unfortunately, many of their peers, maybe they're focused on their cell phones or focused on other things that are happening in their lives. But many of our students are hyper-focused. They're very visual, visual tasks, uh, tasks that require a lot of repetition with precision. These are things that our students are particularly adept at. At this point, after 10 years from starting it, are you getting close to selling your product? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> this is probably my fault. I, I think I've wanted the wine to be superb. The wine is good, but I think it could be really, really great, and I want it to be great when we launch. I will tell you that this is a big year for us. We, we've been joined by uh, winemaker Christina Filippi. From, some of you know her from history with uh, Filippi Vineyards in Rancho Cucamonga, and she's also now the head winemaker at Wilson Creek. Christina, together with Greg, who's helping supervise and oversee the vineyard, we've really built a team of really the top people in Temecula, I think. And so Sparrow's going kind of a unique way. We're going to be making some interesting fortified dessert wines. I think that'll become a bit of our specialty. And I think it's very fitting. You know, it's, it's a very sweet program for amazing kids. And why not make some very sweet, delicious wine? What were you and your wife thinking when you decided to start this? Or what was the process? Was it a lot of discussion? Why did you end up doing something like this? I think anyone who gets into owning a vineyard may not fully understand what's involved with planting vines. I think you put a few in the ground and you think, let's see where this goes. And then you realize, well, it's going to take me three years of watering and care to get to the first year of maturity so I can actually have fruit that's suitable for winemaking. And once you plant the vineyard, it's in the ground, and then it, then you're in, engaged in gopher uh, abatement and dealing with insects and birds and, you know, trying to do that in a, you know, organic kind kind of way, which is how we do it here. And I, I think owning a vineyard is a really tricky thing. No one really tells you what you're in for until you're in it. But, you know, I can't imagine not doing it. I mean, the work's hard. You know, we ask a lot of our good friends who come out and really help. But I would say that it's become part of our foundation. From a heritage perspective, my family has roots in the winemaking industry going all the way back to my great-grandfather. So for us, it was sort of a dream realized and a dream reborn. And how did you come to the idea of taking a, a family product that you learned in the winery business to embedding the program for those with special needs? When uh, my wife and I were first married, uh, we had our honeymoon in Florence, Italy. At that time, the Lira was still operating. It just gives you some sense of how old we are. But it was a very reasonable vacation. It was something we could afford. 
And so we found ourselves in um, in Florence, and then there's this small hilltop town in Tuscany called San Gimignano. And San Gimignano is it's this beautiful medieval town, and all around it are these verdant vineyards. So when we were there, we asked the driver of the bus that drove us out, you know, what's the situation with so many vineyards here? And they shared with us that these vineyards are planted by the Catholic Church for the purpose of helping people with disabilities, people who are looking for rehabilitation opportunities to work and gain the pride associated with having a job and then get back into the mainstream of society. And it stuck with us way back when we first became a couple. And the idea was, wow, this was really nice. So we always had enjoyed going to wine country and we thought one day maybe if things worked out we could maybe buy a a small place in wine country to stay. Maybe plant a little vineyard. And with the birth of our son Andrew and his uh, subsequent diagnosis with autism, our focus began to shift uh, in all respects. How can we help Andrew? And then it became, how can we help Andrew and others like him? And then it became, you know, this is the, the natural progress of, I think, where our family started and where we're going. And, and it's, you know, it's been a blessing for us, you know, to see so many families touch, so many young people's lives impacted and the, and the joy. While at Sparrow Vineyards, I also spoke with owner and co-founder Ava Woodsmall. She shared the progress they've made over the years and the positive outcomes of the program. So tell me a little bit about Sparrow Winery and where you were 10 years ago to where you are now. Oh my gosh, I think over the course of the last 10 years, there's been such amazing growth here. It really started and has continued sort of with this idea that no matter what, hope grows here. Sparrow stands for hope. It's Latin for hope. And our byline is hope grows here. And I think over the course of the 10 years, you see that growth and that hope and that fulfillment of just people's dreams and realization of our dream, I think, really, to sort of create a place that would be something comfortable for everyone to learn vocational training skills on site for persons with varying disabilities and help them to find meaningful employment after their time here. So they come here, they learn about viticulture or hospitality or cooking or whatever it is that you know piques their interest. And then from here, they build a resume with the help of the city and they move on to meaningful employment. We have seen the growth from gosh, 80 grapevines to over 1,300 grapevines. And it's just incredible. Three different varietals from Zinfandel to Cabernet to Tempranillo. And then just really more importantly, the hundreds of lives that we've had come through the program and changed that to us, I think, means everything. Did you have a background in winery or were you just a drinker of wine? Or what made you think that this was something you could do? We came to Temecula as, you know, young adults, my husband and I um, would drive around here and, you know, taste wine and say, one day, you know, and we just, we fell in love with the area and then we purchased the land here and we knew automatically that we wanted to do something to help young adults. We know that there's so many services for you know, youngsters who have um, neurodiversity or developmental disabilities, but not a lot for persons who are that 16 to 20 year old range where they're really launching into life. And I think it's really important to support young adults as well as they enter the community and give them opportunities. And so this was just, it's been year after year, kind of a growth process and to how we can help others just through the land here. And it's just, it's been wonderful. 
So 10 years into this, I'm sure it's a learning process, but what are some of the things you've learned along the way or learned not to do or to do, or how are things changed over the 10 years? So I'd say that the things I've learned the most are like, it's okay to make mistakes and that you, it's how you rise from those mistakes. It's really, it's okay to fall. It's just how you rise from that fall. And so we've made lots of mistakes and they've made us um, better in the long run. We've learned so much. We, you know, sometimes we sample our old wines and, you know, we taste them and we say, oh my gosh, these weren't so great. You know, we, we've made plenty of vinegar and that's okay. It's part of the process of growth. And so you don't know automatically from the very beginning, you grow and you learn. It's a beautiful thing to learn over the course of time and to really see the accomplishments that you can have after you have more experience. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. So do you remember that flavor or that taste when your first year or the first year you tried your wine to today? Oh gosh, I do. The first year we literally made vinegar. It was actual vinegar. And we, we thought, what is this taste? And I said, it tastes a little bit like nail polish remover. And my husband just started laughing. He's like, that is not what we were going for. And I just remember thinking, what are we going to do with this? And then, you know, we did that a couple of years. We did that about two years, you know, and, and then the third year we had made some more vinegar, but we got some right. And that year we, it was funny because a chef kind of walked up to us and was like, Hey, you know, you guys made this vinegar. And we said, yeah, it's from Zinfandel. And he's like, great. Like, and so he featured it in his restaurant as part of a recipe and like loved it and asked for more. And, and that's when I really realized like, you know, you just don't know. You don't know. Like the hardship can, you know, rises into something so beautiful. And it's really kind of an analogy for what we all go through in terms of life. So it's been really fun. It's just been such a blessing. Tell me about some of the parents maybe whose children have participated. I know they're young adult children, but tell me some of the parents and their thoughts or what they've shared with you about their youngster going through the program. I think meeting the parents has been one of the most emotional experiences of the program. So at the end of the culmination of about a four-month period on site, parents come to this, you call it a graduation ceremony, but really it's just if any of the students want to talk about what they experienced, they can um, in whatever way that they would like to. And so the parents have been so grateful in terms of the social opportunities this has provided for their young adults. The other thing that we do here is whenever we bring a new group onto the property, we always tell them, you know, this land is really, this is yours. This is your place. If you have a sibling who wants to come and just having a rough day and just wants to come sit under a tree, they're welcome. Mom, dad, you're welcome. You need a break. You need to just get out. You need to go somewhere where, you know, it doesn't matter how loud you are, what you're saying, what you're doing. No, nothing matters. You're just welcome here. And so I think that the response has been so, it's been a very emotional and humbling response. And we feel so proud of the fact that everyone feels like this really is kind of a second home to them. It's completely different than a winery in terms of the traditional winery. It isn't loud here. It isn't crazy. It isn't filled with a whole bunch of people. It's that first step into viticulture in a quiet and peaceful and really loving manner. And then from here you can grow and you can step and it's it's that first step in many steps. So. It feels like a safe place. It is. 
Tell me about some of the students and what they've shared with you about the program or just the experience. It's so fun. I love the students. They tend to love finding out something that they didn't know they could be good at. Or, you know, I had one person who just walked through the house um, and they were looking for the restroom. They're like, oh, the, the kitchen. And they were explaining to me how much they didn't like grapes and how, and I said, oh, you don't like grapes? And I said, oh my gosh, what are you doing in a viticulture program? And they're like, well, I like kitchens. I like cooking. And I said, oh, so what could you do with grapes? And we talked a lot about it. And that person ended up creating this like frozen slushy with the grapes and using brown sugar and all these different elements and now that person years later is a prep kitchen person and they help to get everything done for the chefs and make sure that everything's prepped for dinner and they work within the community and so I but they learned those skills here learning like you can just take ingredients you might not have liked in the beginning and doctor them up and you might like them in a different way and it really is about learning about that whole piece of everything and how it fits and just, it just it's an amazing experience that was one student I just loved there have been so many that have been so amazing from hospitality and using their social skills to really like welcome everyone and just the love and the warmth of that an amazing like response from the students I can't I can't say enough I think Mark and I probably get more from this than they do (laughs) that's the truth to learn more about Sparrow Vineyards visit us at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll speak with Marissa Kuchek, Director of Museum Arts and Culture for the City of Ontario. Marissa will talk about the Ontario Museum of History and Art and their new exhibit, Built on Water. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. My guest now is Marissa Kuchek, Director of Museum Arts and Culture for the City of Ontario. The Ontario Museum of History and Art recently opened a new exhibit about water conservation called Built on Water. First, share a little bit of the history of the Ontario Museum of History and Art. Sure. So the museum is uniquely housed in Ontario's former city hall. So this building is actually a historical landmark that was funded by the Works Progress Administration. And back in 2019, we actually celebrated our 40th anniversary. We're at Museum of History and Art, and so that means we preserve, interpret, and celebrate the history and cultural heritage of Ontario and the surrounding area. And we're free admission, and we're open from Thursday through Sunday. So in a nutshell, how does water shape our lives? Oh gosh, well that's a great question. I mean, not only is just water necessary for us to live, but it's such a key part of so many industries that we rely on. So from food production to recreation, water just permeates, pardon the the, uh, pun there, every aspect of our lives. Share now what the exhibit is built on water. Tell me what it is and what people will see. So Built on Water is our newest permanent exhibit here at the Ontario Museum of History and Art, and it focuses on the importance of clean, reliable water for Ontario and our inland Southern California region. 
And we've been working on this exhibit for the last five years, so we're just really excited to finally be able to share it with the public. And it's an exhibit that brings together the stories of our local water agencies, some of our regional tribes, agriculture, water conservation, and even the establishment of the City of Ontario. When you come in to visit this exhibit, you're just going to be greeted by these bright colors. It's really kind of a fun designed exhibit, but there's also just so many areas to explore and so many interactive elements. And so we have, you know, artifacts that date back to the 1800s. We also have new forms of digital technology so that you can engage with the topic. So that includes the Waterkeepers app. We even have a new virtual reality experience. What age group do you feel is going to gain so much information from this? It seems like there's kids stuff here as well. Yeah, there really is something for everyone. And, you know, for our youngest visitors, we have this activity called Nature Scout. It's like a magnetic matching game where you can actually go up to the wall and find information about the different plants and animals in our local ecology. It's really, though, fun for even adults to play. Uh, we also have a mobile app called Water Keepers. That's something that you can actually download on your phone, and it talks about the history of water management in the past, present, and future, and you learn about it through these different kinds of choose-your-own-adventure-like puzzle challenges, so you can get some insight into what it was like to be a water manager in each of those different eras, and for that, you know, we're really targeting, I think, some of our, you know, middle school, elementary school age audiences, but again, fun for everyone. Our virtual reality experience is called Wings of Transformation, a Monarch Butterfly's Journey. And with that, it's of course for visitors age 13 and up because it is VR with the Oculus headset. With this virtual reality experience, you're going to be immersed in a world that is like Ontario, but also just very beautiful and stylized and artistic. And you're going to be able to follow what is that generational migration of the monarch butterfly from sort of before human settlers with industrialization, and then what could it be like in the future? Um, that's one of the key components of the show at the end. We ask the question, who are the water guardians in our region? And really what we're trying to say with that is that everyone is. You are a water guardian. We have another interactive component there where folks can take a pledge on how they'll be a water guardian, and they can learn different ways that they can be more efficient with water usage in their lives. Share a little bit more on the pledge. What does that mean? I saw that as we're exiting this the pledge item was there. Tell me a little bit more about that. So these are really quick either facts or activities that you can do. So one of the pledges, you can actually work with your family to calculate your water footprint. Um, another one, it suggests that you can eat foods that require less water to make. You can take shorter showers. And so we're looking at it from all different aspects of things that you might have already known, but also some areas that you might not have even known were related to your water usage in your everyday life. On the walls, you have history and images of Native and Indigenous people. Tell me their part in this water story. For us, you may have noticed when you enter the galleries, we actually have an acknowledgement to our Native and Indigenous communities. And as we were looking into this story, looking at, you know, the history of the Chafee brothers, we also knew there were people on this land before them, and they were actually managing water in their own way. And it's really interesting to see, you know, the Chafee brothers in the 1800s, they put together these aqueducts and managed to get water from the foothills of the mountains into, you know, different parcels of land, agricultural business. 
we're still using some of those pipes today. At the same time as we learned more about our water managers and water professionals, they are also now looking towards different forms of traditional ecological knowledge, um, or TEK, and looking at how those native and indigenous communities were tending to the land and reintegrating that back into what's needed in order to really preserve water for future generations. You mentioned that it took five years to bring this to fruition. Why so long? Does it usually take that long for an exhibit? You know, for a, this is what we call a permanent exhibit. And so this is something that we'll, we're envisioning will be, you know, housed in the museum for the next 10 to 15 years. And we designed it in a way such that we could continue to add new things to it. So for instance, there's one area called Community Voices on Water. For that, it was really important for us to integrate and bring in the voices of community members. And so you'll actually hear from uh, farmers, um, someone who works with our integrated waste department, a park manager, um, someone who has their own skincare line about how water is important and what they do either in their daily life or their business. Um, there's six on view right now. We actually have 12 interviews and we're going to continue collecting those. And so there's different aspects of the exhibit that are going to grow and evolve through time. It also took a tremendous amount of research. There's different artifacts in the exhibit itself that were uncovered even during the process of creating it. So one of my favorite stories in there, there's this redwood pipe that actually was uncovered in 2021 when our Ontario Municipal Utilities Company, or OMUC, was doing some work to replace piping in the city. And it was just so cool that they, they knew about this exhibit because we had been collaborating with them. One of the workers discovered it and said, hey, this is one of those original pipes from the 1800s. And, you know, it's funny when I first came to this project, I was like, why were they using redwood? Well, at the time, um, it was more resistant to corrosion, more resistant to bugs. And so that was kind of the best material to use. But they carefully extracted this pipe for us so that we could include it in the exhibit. And we anticipate that there's going to be more things like that for years to come. As a director, were you such an expert on water when you started this journey? Oh, definitely not. I learned so much from the team here that really had put in so many years of careful research working with not only our regional water companies, but also local libraries, historical archives, and, you know, real experts in this area. So I would say I am still a beginner and still learning every day. What's your takeaway? What do you want people to know about this museum? You know, I really want folks to know that this museum is for everyone. We're part of the city where, you know, that's part of our mandate is we are a community resource. We're free admission. All of our programs are free and we want to have conversations. I think that one part of the exhibit there, it's um, next to the community voices on water component. You can actually make your own mark in the exhibit by utilizing one of the droplets and telling your own water story of how water's impacted your lives. We really want to get people thinking about this topic that is just so crucial for our society today, and we want them to know that this space is for them. To learn more about the Ontario Museum of History and Art, visit us at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking would make a good segment on lifestyles. All you have to do is go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, check out our archives at kvcrnews.org lifestyles. 
or listen to Life Sales on the KBCR app. You can also listen to Life Sales on your favorite streaming service. Search for Life Sales with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Life Sales is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919LifeSales and search for Life Sales with Lillian on Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharita Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Life Sales with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the simple things in.